amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Welcome to the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. Your hosts, Nick Wagner and Joshua Johnson, have been described as not blowhards. Join them as they discuss the matters at the heart of the Dynasty community. From rookie advice to trade analysis, plant your flag here. This is the Dynasty Pulse, presented by DynastyFootballWarehouse.com. Welcome to the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. With me, as always, is Nick Hale to the Redskins. Nick, what's up, buddy? Oh, not much, Josh. I'm doing pretty good, but I need I do need to take a second to complain about the Hall of Fame finalists real quick. I mean, come on, Brian Dawkins and John Lynch, but no Steve Atwater, Terrell Davis, but no Roger Craig, Jerry Jones, but not Jimmy Johnson, Jason Taylor, but no Clay Matthews. Uh, I, if I live to 100, I'll never understand the thinking behind some of the votes for Hall of Fame. What do you, how are you doing, Josh? Oh, uh, okay. I, I must have missed that. What Was Atwater in or no? No, Atwater is not one of this year's 15 finalists. Oh, so we get a I don't understand how. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, wow. Okay. That's, that's strange. Anyway, I want to wish a happy birthday to uh, Baltimore Ravens safety Eric Weddle and uh, Carolina safety Michael Griffin. Uh they both turned 32 today. I, I Every time before we start the podcast, there's usually nobody of note. Uh, but today it was, so I just thought <laughs> I'd throw that out there. Uh, we got a great show planned for today. Obviously, we were off last week because of the uh, the Christmas break. Um, we're going to ca- kind of recap week 16 and 17, look at some possible off-season waiver stashes. Just, I know you probably don't have the opportunity to stash anybody, but just to let you know, some names that we did are considered got a great dynasty dilemma. We're calling it the broken leg dynasty dilemma as we look at Derek Carr versus Marcus Mariota. Uh, tra- dynasty trade analysis. Trades are happening once again. Got a prospect watch as we took a look at a couple uh, later round quarterbacks in uh, C.J. Bethard and uh, Seth Russell, although after the way Bethard played against Florida, I don't know if he's going <laughs> to going to get drafted at all uh bringing the number series back since we're in the offseason a little fun thing we like to do is take a look at some of the best players who wore the numbers throughout in nfl history uh we're all the way up to number 47 um and that of course mr chuck padice he's going to stop by as we do some playoff ats picks so pretty pretty excited about that uh we'll take a look at uh the connor cook versus uh Brock Osweiler battle in Houston should be a interesting showdown there. Uh, moving forward, Nick, what uh, what were some of your thoughts here on uh, Week 16 and Week 17? 
Well, as far as week 17, it was a pretty one of the least exciting week 17s I can remember. I'm pretty sure there was only one game with a win and you're in and lose and you're out of the playoff situation. That was, of course, the Washington game where they lost. So that made the Sunday night game far less dramatic with Green Bay and Detroit both already clinched in the playoffs. Uh, really, the only other meaningful game was uh, in the AFC where Kansas City clinched their first round by with their win and the Raiders' loss. But, you know, fantasy championships were week 16. So switching to that, any owner who stacked Aaron Rodgers and Jordy Nelson was definitely happy as those two were the number three and four scorers of the week. Uh, personally, I rode David Johnson and Antonio Brown, both of whom are great nearly every week, and then Doug Baldwin, who seems to see, save his best games for the fantasy playoffs to a win, uh, even though I had down, down games from Cam Newton and DeMarco Murray. Uh, Travis Kelsey and Charles Clay led the tight ends in Week 16, while Russell Wilson, Tyrod Taylor, Kirk Cousins, and Colin Kaepernick joined Aaron Rodgers in the top five quarterbacks of the week. But nobody had a better fantasy championship game than Minnesota wide receiver Adam Thielen. Twelve catches on 15 targets, two touchdowns, and over 200 yards. It's going to be very interesting to see how his role in the offense progresses uh, with Stephon Diggs and also the first-round pick Laquan Treadwell around. Although, to be fair, Treadwell but did next to nothing as a rookie. But anyway, it'll be very interesting to see Adam Thielen next year. Uh, yeah, I think he is uh, somewhat of a restricted free agent, I think is what they call that, so... Minnesota can put a, a round value on him. I think that's the case. I, I should know because I listened to my buddy Andy Carlson's Purple for the Wind podcast. He talks about that all the time. They're big fans of Thielen, a nice small cool kid, small school kid who's come through in a big way for them. Certainly should have a role there as we don't know what Treadwell is going to give that team moving forward. Obviously, you know, rookie year, hopefully it was a, a redshirt year as he only had one catch on just three targets, inactive most of the year, but Hopefully Thielen can come through. Excuse me. Um, uh, Chip Kelly gets the axe. Uh, seems like a foregone conclusion, but it was one year really fair. I mean, San Francisco going into year four now with fourth newest co- new coach, and coincidentally, they've won week one all, all the last three times. I wonder when the last team a team has done done that. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know what exactly that was about, but there's there's a lot of a lot of things not going in the right direction there in San Francisco. I would argue that more they're more of a defunctional def- franchise than anybody else in the NFL. I mean, we know what Cleveland gave us this year. Uh, I don't think it was part of their plans to win too many games this year, and obviously they just had the one. But I think they have a master plan. Cleveland or Buff- Buffalo and San Francisco just have no idea what's going on. Uh, the Rex Ryan situation is really weird. Um, I've heard a little bit about it here and there. Just, I don't know, wasn't he only there two years? I think you got to give an NFL coach three years. I'm going to say that every time Black Monday rolls around, but you have to give an NFL coach at least three years, I think, to really implement their system with guys that they know that can be successful. Uh, that's exactly why a team like New England is successful. I mean, they're able to year in and year out draft players not because they're the best at their position, but they're the best at what they can do, and they use them to their strengths. And you got to give a coach time to assemble pieces like that. Oh, why was David Johnson playing in Week 17? Obviously, it sounds like he avoided uh, a, a major catastrophe with just an MCL sprain, but uh, did not like seeing that. Uh, I don't own him on a dynasty league, and my redraft team where I had him was, was far gone by the time he got hurt, but. You never want to see that to one of the 
premier players in the NFL. I know Nick that probably got got you pretty nervous about his future, but uh, sounds like he avoided catastrophe. But no reason he should have been playing in that meaningless game. Give your backup some reps. See what you got in those guys. Uh, let's and let's not get overly excited about players like Alex Collins, who played San Francisco and had seven carries for 55 yards, and and Corey Grant, who had a, a hell of a game to end his uh, end the season there for Jacksonville. It was Week 17. They played. The 49ers and Colts, respectively, two very not good defenses to begin with. Probably some guys that are rolling out some rookies there as well. So not don't get too overly excited about that. Uh, next, a question that we had in our Q&A last week uh, about Tariq Hill. I know you're a big fan, but honestly, how do you feel about his future? I feel like it's going to be either one or two ways. He's either going to be Percy Harvin or uh, the next Theron Sproles. What do you think? Well, he's five foot ten, 185 pounds, and more wide receiver than running back, in my opinion. So I'm not really a fan of the Darren Sproles comparison, cause just because he's so much taller and, you know, t- totally different body shape. Uh, you know, the Percy Harvin thing, you know, maybe I, I think maybe maybe Tyreek Hill is what some of us thought Percy would eventually evolve into after his rookie season. But Percy Harvin never did take that next step, whereas you know Tyreek Hill already seems like he's one of the most electrifying players in the league. So I, I think he's already surpassed. What 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 per- Percy Harvin was able to accomplish, but yeah, I, I really like him moving forward, definitely. Okay, well, you know, and I do feel like, and I bring the Percy Harvin comparison up because I feel like Harvin was good, but then he had he had some concussion issues, he had some other injuries, and it seems like when guys like this, those burners like this, when they get injured, it kind of leads to more injuries. You know, their body's trying to overcompensate for what 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 not, and I just. I just feel like it's a bad situation. You know, he's he's doing great, but teams are going to figure out how to how to cast a net and not let him break through. And I just feel like he's going to get popped on these one of these kicker turns. Obviously, I do not wish anybody any ill will, but I just feel like I just, that type of player doesn't have a long shelf life in the NFL. And you have to be very, very special, like a Darren Sproles. I mean, Sproles, you know, now he's going to retire after the end of next year. He's been doing it for a decade, and, and yeah, he's not a, a league leader in receiving yards or whatever every year, but he does do that kick return thing. He's just, he's a phenomenal third down back, and to do that, and I think I brought up the Sproles comparison because I think him him and Hill kind of are on the same type of touch, you know, radius per game. Is that's that's how they try to use Hill. I mean, Hill's not a guy that's gonna gonna carry ten times or get or get ten. Rece- and targets in a game, but he's certainly a guy that they they used to the full advantage. And obviously, as a Raiders fan, I'm a little bit jealous that the Chiefs got Mr. Tyreek Hill. But uh, that doesn't go into this conversation at all. Um, before we move on, I wanted to say a couple thanks. I, I meant to thank uh, one of the guys here on staff, Luke Grilly, who has the Never Ending Glory podcast. They uh they are also here on the website. Uh, he gave, I got a T-shirt from the Never Ending Glory podcast for like submitting a question or something like that. So I wanted to thank Luke for the T-shirt. It's a phenomenal T-shirt. Uh, it's got a big Buckeye vodka there through on the back of it. So I do I do appreciate appreciate that. I did not get any Buckeye vodka. I'm still waiting for that, Luke. But I just wanted to say thank you for that. Um, and I also wanted to say a big thanks to uh, Chad Greenway. It looks like he's probably going to retire. Played his all of his career with the Minnesota Vikings. Of course, went to the University of Iowa, and he is also a guy from my home state of South Dakota. Um, not only was he a, a phenomenal player, but just an upstanding citizen off the field as well. 
and and I just think it's so great that he is from South Dakota, and he's such a was such a great role model during his time time place. I just I just wanted to say a big thanks to to Chad Greenway for being such a great a great role model and showing showing what 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 kind of a person somebody from South Dakota could be. So I just want to say a big thanks to both Chad and Luke. So thank you guys. Um, any waiver stashes you did here for the uh, off season there, Nick? Well, I didn't really have a lot of room on most of my teams to do any, but uh, there is one guy I'll mention. You said earlier, uh, Alex Collins, not to get too excited about him, but I think he's definitely worth a stash, especially as poorly as uh, Thomas Rawls has played this year. I think there will be a pretty uh, pretty good competition there for the for the running back uh, uh, timeshare in Seattle uh, next next uh, preseason. Uh, yeah, I, I certainly like him more than the other guy, Corey Grant. Um, I don't know. It just it 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 looks like a uh, RBBC uh, just catastrophe there next year. I think they'll probably play the hot hand, and who knows who's going to get the carries. So if you could trade Alex Smith, I would certainly mention. But yeah, he, he's available. He he certainly isn't a bad stash. I just don't want people to get too too worked up about him. And I own a couple copies of myself. I just just don't want people to get too worked up about it. Uh, what about Ryan Grant? I say I take it Ryan Grant over Corey Grant. What do you think about the Redskins Ryan Grant? Uh, if Garcon and Djax leave the this off season and they don't draft a wide receiver high, Grant certainly has an opportunity to carve out a niche with Doxon and Crowder, don't you think? Oh, most certainly. And, uh, you know, like you mentioned, a lot of things have to fall into place. Both uh, the two starting receivers leaving if, if in free agency uh, would <laughs> definitely have to have to happen for him to have any sort of impact. But if that does happen, uh, you know, we don't we haven't seen Josh Doxson on the field yet, so we don't know what he's going to offer. So that would leave a uh, 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 Jamison Crowder is pretty much the only experienced wide receiver there in Washington with Ryan Grant. So, yeah, the, the opportunity could be there. But, you know, obviously a lot of things have to fall into place. Yeah, and he kind of had a down kick in targets this year. I think he was an active, a little bit dinged up most of the year. But uh, he he's a player out of Tulane. I've, I've liked liked what I've seen out of him in the small sample size. Um, another guy I keep talking about here and there uh, is Eric Swoop, the uh, the uh, Antonio Gates type project there, converted basketball player from Miami. Uh, never played the game until he came to the NFL. So that, that's an interesting part of, part of his game there. But uh, he's essentially the backup tight end now. Was like the third string tight end behind Doyle and uh, Dwayne Allen. Now, Doyle is a free agent. Um, I would be surprised if the Colts retain him. I mean, obviously, I never know what that Colts team is going to do. So they could pay him a bunch of money. But I feel like their money's best served elsewhere. And since they already gave Dwayne Allen a big contract, it might be kind of hard for them to lock up Doyle, especially because Doyle had a career year in a contract year. So I feel like he's going to be chasing money to wherever he can get it. Uh, that means uh, Swoop uh, re- remains uh, as, the, as the number two, and we know Dwayne Allen's health hasn't always been the greatest. And uh, where Dwayne Allen is certainly that in-line blocker, Swoop is definitely – like I said, that former basketball background, a guy that can stretch the field vertically. Um, you look at, you know, his stats aren't amazing this year, but even the games where he had one catch, they're like for 15 and 22 yards. He had one game where he had one catch for 45 yards. So he's a guy that can stretch the field. He's, uh, you know, 
maybe a, a Martellus Bennett type, maybe not as a strong blocker as Bennett, but uh, certainly a guy with a bunch of shorter wide receivers on this team that could uh, could help Andrew Luck out of the middle of the field. So he's he's a guy that I like to bash. Um, what do you think? I don't, trying to figure out this tight end situation in Denver, it seems like for the last three years, ever since Julius Thomas left there, Nick, what do you think, what do you think about A.J. Derby, a guy they traded for from New England versus Jeff Howerman, who Derby looked like he was going to be uh, coming through uh, towards the end of the year, and he had some good weeks there, but then Howerman kind of ended ended as the as the top target getter for the tight ends there in Denver the last couple weeks. Any thoughts about those guys versus each other going into the next year? I think I'd probably prefer Powerman. Uh, I, uh, he missed his whole rookie season, so this was year two, and they always say year three is the big breakout year for tight ends. So the fact that he was already leading the team in targets, like you said, uh, that would uh, lead me to be pretty optimistic, I think, with Powerman. Yeah, and just so we're leading tight ends and targets there towards the end of the season for Denver. But uh, just, couple, just a couple names to look at there. So, um what, let's get to our dynasty dilemma. Like I said, we're going to talk about a couple of guys that uh, unfortunately broke their legs uh, week 16. They're not a, not a good Christmas Eve in my household. <laughs> I mean, the kids had fun, but I, <laughs> oh, uh, that, uh, yeah, not, not a fun time. Uh, but uh, I, just since I thought we were, you know, Nick's obviously a big fan of Mariota, as am I, and I'm the Derek Carr the Raiders guy, I just thought we'd take a look at both of these guys and see what the what the future holds for them. I actually had the chance to go first, and I like to thought I would talk against my Raiders, so I chose Marcus Mariota over uh, over Derek Carr here. So let's let's play the let's play the music. I'm gonna get to that. Derek Carr versus Marcus Mariota. I had Marcus Mariota. So what if Derek Carr is just a facilitator, Nick, in a great offense with high-grade weapons, especially on the outside, not to mention his phenomenal offensive line? Okay, maybe maybe that's not true, and we can certainly agree with that after watching Week 17. Uh, but I think we can agree Carr is probably in a better situation right now. Their old line is stout, but they are also older with a medium age of 28.2. Meanwhile, the Titans' offensive line is younger, with younger group on the rise with a medium age of 25.2. The big key here is the fact that the Oakland tackles, Austin Howard and Donald Penn, are 29 and 33, respectively. Meanwhile, Tennessee's tackles, Jack Conklin and Taylor Wan, are 22 and 25, respectively. It was very apparent Week 17 what Mariota and Carr mean to their respective franchises. Carr has exceptional weapons, but Reggie McKenzie will have to continue to hit on players to keep that offense clicking. Yet the real issue, I feel like, in Oakland is their defense, and I would not be surprised to see Oakland spend their money in free agency and early draft capital on their D the next couple of seasons. Meanwhile, the Titans have two first-round picks this season inside the top 20, with number five being their highest one. So their young nucleus will get even stronger. 
Oakland currently has a strong running game, but the leader of that pack is Latavius Murray, a free agent to be this offseason. Jalen Richard and Jerondre Washington are nice complimentary pieces, but neither are between the tackles thumpers. This may seem like a good thing for the passing game of Derek Carr's future of for the passing game and Derek Carr's future as a multi-year 4,000-yard passer, but ultimately the run sets up the pass. And if Oakland wants to control Temple, they will need solid running statistics from someone. Tennessee has both their future and current running backs in Derek Henry and DeMarco Murray. They have a reliable tight end in Delaney Walker, who Derek Carr would absolutely kill for in Oakland. Sure, Rashard Matthews, Kendall Wright, and Tajay Sharp are not Amari Cooper, Michael Crabtree, and Seth Roberts, but they are all human. In fact, Cooper and Crabtree, for all their shining moments, had brutal struggles this season. Did you know Matthews had three 100-yard receiving games in the last six weeks, including one with back at quarterback Matt Castle? In that same span, Cooper's best receiving game was 76 yards. Crabtree's best receiving game was 90 yards. So the crafty Matthews really knows how to heat, heat up when the moment is big. Now, both Carr and Mariota are coming off broken legs in 2000, for the 2017 season. So wh- one might think the mobile Mariota – one might think this might hurt the mobile Mariota more than it would Derek Carr. I disagree. You know how a computer or something like that is refurbished? What it, it often, is, often it is better than one that comes straight off the line. Why? Because when a refurb or rebuild is taking place, every nook and cranny is gone through to assure its stability. I feel the, the same will be the case for Mariota because of his mobility. Carr is more of a traditional quarterback who relies on standing tall in the pocket and delivering passes through his strong feet, and he pushes his body through passes. Mariota will be thoroughly checked, and throwing on the run puts less torque on your lower legs. He also has a more of a also is more of a wrist or touch passer, and that could actually help prevent, be more injury preventative throughout his career. So, what do you got for us on Derek Carr there, Nick? Well, we, we've seen a large enough sample from both of these young quarterbacks to know that they belong, both in the NFL and on fantasy rosters. Neither of these guys is a bust. They both should be the face of the franchise, quote-unquote, for the foreseeable future. Uh, now, some people may prefer Mariota because of his rushing ability, and I admit that in any given week, Marcus is probably a safer play due to his rushing ability, providing a higher floor. But in dynasty formats, that is precisely why I lean towards Derek Carr. Rushing quarterbacks are great short-term producers, but all those extra hits take a toll on players' bodies, and we've seen Mariota miss time in both of his seasons with injuries. And yes, Carr got hurt too this year, but as a pocket passer, he should be less likely to be hurt again. Also, we've seen many successful running quarterbacks whose games start to tank once they lose lose some of that speed due to age or injuries or whatever. Uh, Mike Vick's rocket arm wasn't enough to save his career once his mobility was gone, and even the great Cam Newton's passing game struggled this year, uh, which not coincidentally coincided with Newton's lowest rushing totals of his career. But a pocket passer like Derek Carr comes with none of these concerns. Uh, long-term, I foresee Carr having a longer, more consistent career than Marcus Mariota, and short-term, you have to like his 
his receiving weapons better than what uh, Mariota has to work with. Although I will fully admit, Rashard Matthews, I thought they way overpaid him. He definitely proved me wrong and had a great season there in Tennessee. But behind him, uh, Tajay Sharp's the next guy up. Uh, Kendall Wright, who you mentioned, I believe he's a free agent. I don't know if he's going to be around. So, yeah, I just – I I can't see uh, myself taking Mariota over Derek Carr. Okay. Tennessee is going to take a wide receiver as one of those first two first-round picks. So it's going to be – maybe it's Mike Williams at five out of Clemson, the big the big giant. Uh, maybe they take a tight end later. Uh, I just – I really like what they have. And I think to get to my point, if I didn't fully illustrate it, I really like Derek Carr's situation. Obviously, I'm a Raiders fan. And I feel like maybe, maybe Nick can agree, but – and I'm not trying to pump myself up, but maybe I'm a little bit more dangerous when I'm going against the Raiders, a player for the Raiders, just because I know so much about <laughs> them. Uh, but uh, I think Carr's in a great situation now and for the next couple of years, but Tennessee's really building something, and, two, and maybe next year, two years' time, they'll be right where Oakland is right now. So I feel like with, with the youth they have and the keep accruing these, these high picks, this could be a very dangerous team, and I know I know the shelf life of these running quarterbacks isn't isn't as such, uh, but I really like what they're building around him, and I think both of these and uh, in, in all of our like in all of our dilemmas, both these guys are very special to have, and obviously it just comes down uh, to preference. And you know, one of the newer trends in leagues now too is that point two five per carry and. To have a guy like Mariota in a league like that is a, is a nice little ace in the hole because that, that is a very, very safe floor week in and week out, obviously, pending he stays uh, stays upright. But we do wish both of these guys uh, a great health moving forward, and hopefully they can return to form next year in 2017. Uh, or in Derek, case, Derek Carr's case, the Super Bowl, because, yeah, Connor Cook's going to get us that far. Um, <laughs> Connor Cook's going to win in New England. Uh uh, he's going to dispel the tuck rule and win in New England. But anyway, uh, any any more thoughts on that uh, that dilemma there, Nick? No, but I'm curious. If Cook does get you to the Super Bowl, do you just ride the hot hand? No. If Derek, if Derek Carr is healthy, they will play Derek Carr. Uh, <laughs> I, I do believe it. I do believe in that. But uh, if, if Connor Cook gets us to the Super Bowl, we are – trading his ass for a first round pick. <laughs> That's what's gonna happen. Uh sorry for the uh sorry for the ASS there. But uh it had to be so. uh let's get to some dynasty trade analysis. Uh, I'm sure we have a clip for that, but I'm not sure where it's at right now. So Nick brought up an interesting point and I kinda thought I might do a little bit of the same. Um uh, you you're talking about your uh, your twelve team uh PPR package there, Nick. Um uh Never mind. Uh, <laughs> I think this isn't a league where you're back-to-back champions. You're talking about packaging all your picks together, seeing so if you can jump up in the first round. Is that correct? Uh, that's right, because mostly due to the fact that I have no, no roster space. There's nobody on my roster that I need to cut or that I want to cut. So, you know, uh, no need to have four draft picks when I have only room for probably one player. So, yeah, I'm thinking package uh, 1.12, 2.12, 3.12, and 4.12, see how high I can move up in the first round. Okay. And you think – have you had any luck with that? Do you think – I said I thought the highest you could get was probably 1.5. 
maybe you can squeeze, you know, into 1.4, 1.3, if if desperate in a couple of years away. Have you had any, had any luck with that? Uh, I have not sent out any offers yet, actually. I'm still uh, waiting for the actual okay. off season to roll around. But but yeah, I'm gonna I'm hoping to get up to maybe 1.4, 1.3. You know, teams that are drafting that high are usually in full on rebuild mode. So you know, if they're desperate for lots of extra draft picks, hopefully that'll work in my favor. So conservative, uh, I, and I and I guess I can't fault you for that because this is now the second time you've mentioned that. I just don't have any room on my roster. I have all these good players. Uh, I don't have <laughs> I don't have a lot of teams like that. But uh, um. Uh, my the one championship I did make, I did not win, but I still won 135 bucks. I was surprised that was a second place prize, which uh, helped me pay for a couple other uh, leagues that I that I lost in. So that was that was a nice little compliment there. But I'm in that same situation where I have you know one one point one one two point one one etc. I'm already traded my fifth round pick, uh, but uh, I was maybe thinking I could package those together there for. Uh, hopefully jump up in the first round there as well. We'll see if I, I could pull it off. This is a ridiculously big league with five taxi spots. So it's, it's, you want to, you know, you want to have some rookies, you some nice, some nice stashes. You take full advantage of that, uh, that roster space though. So we'll see, we'll see what I can pull off there. And I, and I do want to mention, I uh, made it that far with having Adrian Peterson as my RB two most of the year. So that was, that was nice. I got a lot of, uh, production out of Garrett Blunt late. Uh, my, my other RB1 was Devontae Freeman. Uh, Bilal Powell came on at the right time. I was able to use Theo Riddick a little bit here and there. And uh, Charles Sims when he was healthy. So uh, that's, you know, it's, you, man, just, just want to point that out. If you're, if you're crafty enough and get, have some good drafting, you don't have to necessarily have big name running backs right at the top. So uh, moving forward, another Tyrell Williams trade. He's going to be the uh, the Devontae Adams, I think, of this offseason. Who was it last year? Who was the guy that everybody was trading last year? I can't remember now. But uh, um, Tyrell Williams, pick 1.08, pick 1.09 for Michael Thomas. What are your thoughts there, Nick? I think it's a pretty fair trade. Uh, you know, Tyrell Williams, we don't really know what his future is going to be moving forward with uh, with Keenan Allen being healthy there in San Diego or wherever the Chargers are playing next year. Uh, and 1.08, 1.09, you know, you're taking flyers on probably good players, but you know for sure Michael Thomas is a stud. He's proven in his year. He's likely to be uh, New Orleans wide receiver one moving forward. So it's a lot to give up for him, but I think it's a fair trade. I, I, would, I would give up that much for Michael Thomas. Okay. Um, yeah, it depends. You know, I think as I see it right now, I think the first five picks are the combination of Leonard Fournette, Dalvin Cook, in no particular order, of course, Malcolm, excuse me, Mike Williams, Clemson wide receiver, Corey Davis, the West Michigan wide receiver, and John Ross, the Washington wide receiver. I think those guys will probably be the top five picks. After that, it gets a little hazy. We'll see how uh, we'll see how things work out. And I should mention that uh, our 2017 rookie ranks are hoping to be up January 17th. We're waiting till that point. January 16th is the last day for 
prospects to declare for the NFL draft. So we, we, we're we going through and getting all the people that went back to school weeded out. So we we're going to have those up for you very soon. And with that, we'll have a top 50 hopefully up to uh, maybe maybe a month after that. So hopefully we can shed some light on to see how that's uh, going. But, uh, yeah, it, you know, looking at the guys that went there last year, you know, it was like Will Fuller, Tyler Boyd, even Leontay Crew, who we're going to talk about the next pick. So, you know, to, just to throw some names out there for you, obviously Michael Thomas looks like the real deal. Um, do I'm always concerned with those Saints guys because Drew Brees, I say it all the time, but he spreads that ball around, and it's hard week to week to figure out who's going to score there. But uh, Thomas might be, the, might be the safest wide receiver there, and we just don't know with Tyrell Williams. Um Interesting to get your thoughts here, Nick. Uh, Josh Doxson for Leontay Carew, 2.07 and 4.07. What do you think? Uh, I don't think that's enough for Doxson. Uh, I'm assuming the Doxson owner was just panicked because of the Achilles injury. Uh, so selling low definitely there, as Doxson was probably a top-five pick in most rookie drafts last year. So, yeah, I, I think that's just too low of a price for a guy who he hasn't proven that he's a bust on the field yet. He just hasn't had his opportunity. So I, I would not give up Doxson for that. Yeah, I, I agree there. I just – I don't know how Crew. We talked about it, and I I thought we would see more, but I just don't know how Crew's going to get on the field in Miami at this current time with two other young wide receivers in front of him. And who knows? You know, I I'd like to know if this was an IDP league, I would understand that more because that second and fourth round picks are certainly a lot more attractive in that type of format. But uh, yeah, that's not that's not enough to give up. Like Nick said, a, a top five, in a lot of cases, probably a top four wide receiver. Uh, top four picks, excuse me, last year. So out of top three wide receiver, really. But uh, oh, interesting one here. And I've said interesting, I think, for all these trades. That's that's the word I say. Kelvin Benjamin and pick 1.10 for Travis Kelsey. Ted Ginn and pick 3.03. What do you think? I really like this trade as far as the the, team, the side that picked up Travis Kelsey. You could make an argument right now that Travis Kelsey is the most valuable tight end in in fantasy due to uh, Rob Gronkowski's injury history. So, yeah, uh, picking up him for Kelvin Benjamin, who really did not look the same this last year coming back from his injury, and a late first-round pick uh, for, to pick up who the guy that might be the top tight end, plus Ted Ginn, who's a nice bye week fill-in, and a third-round pick. Yeah, I, I love this trade for the side that picked up Kelsey. Yeah, I think Ginn and the pick are probably just a, a throw-in at this point. But, you know, Travis Kelsey, this is only Travis Kelsey's fourth year. Um, he's 27 years old, uh, won't be 28 until next October. Uh, yeah, I know he didn't play a lot last week, which is great. But if you had him championship week, 11 catches on 12 targets, no doubt, 160 yards and a touch, uh Wow. I mean, I had him in a third-place game, and I just was like, oh, and, and it was, of course, the Sunday night game. It was just like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I wish I was in the championship because he was, he was going off. Yeah, He was a very solid player this year. Had a couple couple weak weeks there in the middle with, you know, five and four PPR points. But, uh, yeah, he's, like Nick said, with uh, Gronk's health, he's certainly probably the safest top safety right now. 
Um, yeah, he, he he ended so strong. I'm really considering using my one keeper and I'm in my one redraft league is a keeper league, so we keep one player. I think I took him in the fifth. I'm really considering using that there because he's it's probably not a huge value pick, but I think feel like he's probably like a fourth round player. Um, and I and speaking of future ADP, I saw on Twitter yesterday somebody's somebody's already doing some mocks, and I feel like damn it, I should be the first person doing mocks because I'm a dork too. But I saw of the mock of I don't know what the format was, but somebody was getting Cam Newton in the sixth. I would love Cam Newton in the sixth of a startup next year, don't you think, Nick? I mean, yeah, he had a down year. I would like to think they'll fix some pieces, they'll draft some offensive line and make that offense better, but I feel like that's a pretty good value pick right there for Cam Newton in the sixth going into next year, right? Oh, definitely. You have to like his chances to bounce back. I mean, he looked like a really an up-and-coming player who was improving every single year up until this season. So, you know, hopefully this last year was just an outlier and his his good career will continue starting next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving forward, ooh, prospect watch. Um, I had Nick look at uh, Baylor quarterbacks Seth Russell, he seems to be slipping to, like, the seventh round, maybe UDFA type of uh, things. But let's see what Nick has to say about uh, Seth Russell, Baylor quarterback. Well, Seth Russell's got good size, six foot three, two 215 pounds. He's got a very strong arm and good but not elite athleticism. So he, he should get a shot at the, in somebody's training camp. Uh, like you said, probably a later round pick. Uh, unfortunately, the last two seasons have both been cut short due to injury. Last year he had a neck injury, and uh, this year he had a broken and dislocated ankle. Also, he's coming off a down year. Only completed 54.7% of his passes in what is pr- considered to be a pretty quarterback-friendly offense there in Baylor. So that's that's a big red flag. Although some scouts may write off this year, considering all the scandal-involved chaos that was surrounded the Baylor program in the last 12 months. Uh, you know, Baylor system also is not very good for developing pro quarterbacks, even with the numbers that they tend to put up. So he's probably going to be very raw entering the NFL. Like a lot of college quarterbacks, took all the snaps out of the shotgun formation. He's not used to lining up under center. Um, and you look at a couple former Baylor quarterbacks, uh, Bryce Petty and Robert Griffin. Those guys were both also pretty raw when coming into the league. And I know it's dangerous to do that. Uh, you know, for example, remember all Jeff Tedford quarterbacks were garbage until Aaron Rodgers came into the NFL and shattered that myth. So, you know, it's dangerous to judge a guy based on the system and the school that he plays in, but sometimes that is a thing, too. Yeah, Mike Leach has a lot of prolific college quarterbacks who don't do anything in the NFL. So just kind of depends on your uh, how, how, how you judge that. Uh, he, he's a very pr- tough prospect to judge. You know, his physical school tools all but guarantee he'll get a shot to earn a backup job. But, you know, if I'm a GM, I'm not going to touch him before the late fifth round at the very earliest. But all it takes is one team to fall in love with the physical tools for him to go earlier. Just look at Buffalo drafting the ultra-rock Cardale Jones in the fourth round last year. Uh, the landing spot, of course, could change his fantasy outlook, but uh, he, right now he's not currently on my radar in, dy- radar in Dynasty Leagues, unless it's a league with a very deep taxi squad type of situation. Or, you know, those two quarterback leagues, he's he's certainly worth worth a late-round stash or 16-team leagues, as we know quarterbacks are freaking platinum in leagues like that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and one thing I've noticed, too, just – uh, over the last couple of weeks here, since we not have not had a show, 
when you're obviously the off season is starting and we're doing this this rookie evaluation draft draft analysis stuff, don't get overly too concerned about size. I mean, Seth Russell six three two oh five. Of course, your first instinct is, oh, he needs to bulk up. He needs to gain twenty pounds to stand tall, strong in the pocket. Don't get overly concerned about that. Drew Brees, I'm not saying he's Drew Brees. Drew Brees, six foot two oh nine. Maybe he's six foot. I would like to measure him myself. Maybe he's six foot with cleats on. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, six two two twenty. I mean, that's that's pretty medium size. You know, we all go goggle over these guys that are six five, two thirty, two thirty five. But don't get overly concerned. You know, really look at the player in their skill set. Don't dismiss somebody from their size like I did with Jameson Crowder because he's five eight. Look what he's done. You know, he's he's really just proven that he's, his heart and his will is stronger than anything that anybody can that judge him for his size. So just, just keep that in mind as you're looking at players and doing that evaluation process here moving up to the draft. So um, C.J. Beathard, who I had the opportunity to, to scout this week, um, and I should have wrote down his size. <laughs> uh, oh, see, 6'2", 194. Are you kidding me? He looks heavier than that. But anyway, uh, so let's not get too concerned about size. Uh, that could have been a great segue. I really like his poise in, his, in, in the pocket and his willingness to run if there is space to do so. Um, I think he stands tall and, has, and, and understands timing and how routes develop. His deep accuracy is very solid and his slant accuracy is even better. He struggles a little bit hurrying passes over the middle, with obviously with uh, pressure. I think he's probably going to be like a mid to late round developmental pick, probably a career backup. You know, he, he needs to sit on an NFL bench for a while and learn from a guy. He'd be a great guy to add, I think, in, in New Orleans, let him learn, learn from Drew Brees and Sean Payton for a couple years, you know, maybe a late round type pick. Because the instincts are there, I don't think I don't think he's an elite type of player, but the instincts are there for him to be a serviceable quarterback. And I think when you talk about people being serviceable quarterbacks, he's that's definitely sometimes startable in fantasy in a, in a pinch too. So, um, as I mentioned earlier, he had somewhat of an abysmal performance in the uh, in his uh, in a bowl game. He was seven for twenty three for fifty five yards and three interceptions. So that. That certainly hurt his status, but uh, uh, he's got a lot of starts under his belt there at Iowa, and that's certainly a, a, a trustworthy type of player. Of course, wearing former Iowa quarterback Chuck Lungs, number 16, doesn't hurt either. But uh, like I said, don't don't judge him for his size. Definitely a developmental project. I think he's a guy that could be uh, a very solid player moving forward if he's given time. You know, he's going to have to sit on the bench for for a while. Not a not a lights-out type of player. Uh, threw for 2,800 yards as a junior in 2015, regressed to just under 2,000 this year. But 17 touchdowns in both seasons, was sacked 29 times over the last two years. So not the not on the greatest team, but uh, uh, certainly a player that uh, that, in, that intrigues me and a nice a nice late-round, like I said, developmental type of player for, uh, for somebody. Oh, it's time for best number 48. Seven there, Nick. Uh, it's been a while since we got. You know, it's been a while since we did the dynasty dilemma, and it took me forever to, to just like 
find a, a starting point with that. And I felt I felt like I maybe maybe when I went off in the wrong direction, but it felt good to to do a dilemma. We didn't do those the last couple of weeks as we were sitting start madness during the end of the regular season. But let's get to best number forty seven. What do you what do you got for me, Nick? Well, so this is a relatively short list. You know, I could have inflated it with players like Tyrone Wheatley, the former 17th overall pick, but I decided to keep it short and sweet. Uh, that being said, uh, Kent McClown likely wouldn't have made this list if he had worn uh, most other numbers, but as the Raiders cornerback, only played for six seasons from 1965 through 1970, but he was a first-team All-Pro in 66 and 67. Another player who only went to two Pro Bowls, Chris Cooley, was a big-time fan favorite in D.C. from 2004 through 2012 and is a very colorful person personality who now works for the Redskins radio network. Uh, the cornerback Leroy Irvin is another two-time pro bowler. He played 10 years with the Rams beginning in 1980 before moving to Detroit his final season. Okay, so I told you it was a short list, but it's also quite top-heavy with our top three. Uh, starting out with Joey Browner, who was a feared strong safety for Minnesota from 1983 through 91, and also had played one year in Tampa Bay. Uh, Browner gets overlooked in that amazing 1983 draft class, but at the 19th overall selection, most of the years he would have been considered one of the best picks. Uh, six straight Pro Bowls from 1985 through 1990, and he didn't miss a game his first eight seasons in the NFL. He was a big part of what is a very underrated defense there that Minnesota had in the 80s. Uh, John Lynch was another highly feared safety. He played 11 years in Tampa Bay and four years in Denver, going to nine Pro Bowls and winning a Super Bowl. Uh, the former third-round pick retired after the 2000 season, and seeing that it's been almost 10 years since Lynch retired made me feel very old when I was doing my homework for this. I, I just had to share that fact. Um, now, uh, Mel Blunt went to less Pro Bowls than Browner or Lynch, only five Pro Bowls, but he also has four Super Bowl rings as part of that vaunted 1970s Steeler defense. In my mind, that gives him the edge for top number 47 of all time. He's got 57 career interceptions. That's good for 13th all-time. 19 playoff starts is 28th best of all time. He was the 1975 Defensive Player of the Year and inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1989. Uh, unfortunately, the Hall of Fame doesn't like to let safeties in, so John Lynch may be waiting for a while for his yellow jacket. And while that is unfair, Hall of Fame membership is, to me, a factor in the decision to name Mel Blount my top number 47 of all time. Hmm. Yeah, very good stuff. Like, I'm going to talk about a lot of the same people Nick did, but, yeah, DB City, it's this number 47. Granted, you got up uh, Chris Cooley. Cooley, excuse me. I started following him on Twitter recently. He has, he has a radio show in Washington. Pretty pretty funny dude. Uh, try to get him on sometime. Uh, but like Nick said, Leroy Irvin, third-round pick for the L.A. Rams, 35 career interceptions, five career pick sixes. Also took, took four punts and back for touchdowns, including three in 1981. Ah, Joey Browder, man. Being from the area, being in Vikings territory, he was such a fun player to watch. Just a physical safety. Probably did a lot of things you can't do nowadays, but uh, former first-round pick out of USC, uh, ninth overall by the Vikes. He really was the quintessential, just take your head off, late 80s safety. 37 career interceptions, but he was really just one of the most feared hitters, feared for his hitting power. I mean, he, I mean, everybody talks about Ronnie Lott, and we love Steve Atwater from that era, but Joey Browner was that same type of player, just a beast. Uh, speaking of hitting, John Lynch uh, made a tackle or two in his storied NFL career, nine-time Pro Bowler, 
just one of the fiercest players of his generation, maybe ever. And also, I thought it was interesting, Nick. Did you see – I couldn't find any reference of John Lynch. I don't think he ever scored an NFL touchdown. So, I feel a little bad that he didn't. I mean, his last year, they couldn't have put him in for like a one-yard plunge. Come on. But never scored an <laughs> NFL touchdown. That's, that's, that, that disappoints me. Maybe that's why he's not in the Hall of Fame. But anyway, no offense to John Lynch. But, yeah, decades since he retired, ugh. Uh Ultra personal. I got to rep my South Dakota roots, but uh, uh, a guy that wore number 47 for the Detroit Lions, a fellow by the name of Wayne Rasmussen, who was a ninth round selection out of South Dakota State in 1964. 64 career interceptions, a couple, couple pick sixes. Not only was he from my home state, but he later retired and lived in my, my hometown of Brandon, South Dakota. And his uh, son, Casey Rasmussen was one hell of a running back for my Brandon Valley Lynx. So I just wanted to mention Wayne Rasmussen, a former NFL player who lived in the same town that I grew up in. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, but you got to give it to Mel Blunt. I mean, you know how, like, they changed the mound in 1968 for, for Major League Baseball players, for pitchers, because pitchers were having too much success. That's exactly what happened in the mid-'70s. They changed the rules about being physical – with wide receivers because of Mel Blunt. And anybody that is able to do that in their career, is that that's why he's a Hall of Famer. I mean, uh, four, like Nick said, four-time Super Bowl champion, Melvin Cornell Blunt, 6'3", 210, really the type of player scouts and coaches would just drool over nowadays. He was the original big cornerback, 57 career interceptions, five Pro Bowls, four first-team All-Pros, voted to the 19th, voted to the 75th anniversary team, which is basically basically means he was one of the top four cornerbacks of the first 75 years of NFL football. And even though he retired in 1983, he was also voted to the 1980s All-Decade team. Uh, he they like I said they basically outlawed bump and run coverage because he was such a tenacious beast. So not only did he, you know, was feared by by opposing teams, but he changed the rules of the game because he was so good. So yeah, you got you got to give it to Mel Blount. I absolutely love the way he played, and as much as I love Joey Browner, I think it's got to be got to be Mel Blount. So uh, anything else there? The best number forty-seven. I think we got it. Yeah, yeah, that's all I had for forty-seven. But but great point okay. there on Mel Blunt changing the rules. Yeah, when you're good enough that they change yeah. the rules because you're that dominant, yeah, you definitely deserve a place in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, most definitely. Um, one more question before we brought bring Chuck in, Nick. Here, I just wanted to throw at you another thing we had that in the Q and A. Um, So potential quarterbacks on the market, I I did not, if anybody's read this in, in the Q&A and be like, what about Tony Romo? Nobody is investing dynasty capital in Tony Romo. So just, just think about that, please. He, he's going to go somewhere for one year and then retire. But anyway, potential quarterbacks, no no disrespect, but that's what's going to happen. Potential quarterbacks via, available via trade or free agency, Tyrod Taylor, Blake Bortles, Nick Foles, A.J. McCarron, Colin Kaepernick, and Jimmy Garoppolo. Who do you want the most? And fantasy-wise, Nick, who's, where is the best situation for them? 
Well, not knowing the landing spots, here's how I would rank them. Uh, starting with Blake Bortles, then Tyrod Taylor, Colin Kaepernick, Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, Foles, and then A.J. McCarron. Uh, Bortles and Taylor are probably the only guys I would actively pursue. Uh, Kaepernick and Jimmy Garoppolo I'd probably hold on to or try to buy low if possible or if I was desperate for a quarterback. And I'm probably not really interested in Foles or McCarron. Uh, as far as best landing spot, I think Jacksonville really jumps out as a place with very solid weapons to work with, uh, you know, plus uh, the weak defense provides some garbage time opportunity, as Blake Bortles owners are very familiar with. Um, it's tough to see what will happen in San Francisco and Buffalo until they have their new the head coaching situations uh, figured out there. Uh, Denver is another possible situation. You know, after missing the playoffs, uh, John Elway may decide that they need a veteran signal caller to get back to the postseason. If any of these guys were to wind up there working with those weapons, that would be a phenomenal situation. Okay. Yeah, I I thought, obviously, it's, it's all null and void now, but I thought uh, – Blake Bortles working with Chip Kelly in San Francisco would be interesting. And, you know, maybe Kelly's an offensive, excuse me, an, an OC somewhere, an offensive coordinator next year. So maybe maybe he can look at that. And and we, we know, like, the running quarterback is successful in that type of scheme. But I think just being mobile and Bortles isn't afraid to do that, I think that could be a, uh, an interesting marriage. And Mary, maybe since Kelly is available and Jacksonville is looking, and they're such a young team. I don't know if Kelly's going to get a head coaching job, but he'd be an interesting, uh, interesting OC for somebody. Uh, I, I don't want I don't want people to discredit Nick Foles right away either. I think he's a player that could certainly go somewhere and and do something. He's got ex- three teams now, so he's got scheme experience as well, uh, and he's got a great arm. He's just a great slinger. So I think if somebody would be willing to give him a shot, I think he could reward not only his team, but fantasy owners as well. And I'm, I'm holding a couple full shares myself. So maybe that's just wishful thinking, but I, I think, I think there's a future there. Uh, let's bring in Mr. Chuck Podeski. Chuck, are you there? Hey guys, how's it going? Good. I, I thought we were going to get to you a little bit early and it's a little bit early, but uh, uh, then I started blabbing. Sorry about that. But anyway, how you doing? Yeah, well, uh, it's pretty much status quo then, right? Um, <laughs> yep. I want to say happy, uh, new happy New Year and uh, Merry Christmas to everybody, but I think we did that before uh, we left for the break. Um, I'm doing great. It's uh, it's a little cool out here in Vegas. It's only supposed to get up to like 56 today, um, and uh, to us that's cold. Nick can probably relate wow. to that. Oh yeah, that that 50s, <laughs> in the fifties, that's bitter cold. <laughs> but uh, we have some interesting games coming up this weekend, and uh, I can't wait to get into them. For the record, negative eight here this morning when I got out of bed. Anyway, go ahead. Wow. <laughs> no, I heard the uh, the North and the Midwest were in a in a real deep freeze, going all the way to the Rockies. So I hope that doesn't. Uh, I hope that's past us here. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, interesting games this weekend. And I have an interesting thing for everybody to consider before they go putting their hard-earned money on uh, on these football games here. Uh, I read an interesting thing. There's a uh, really, really, and it costs nothing to uh, be on it. There's a great website. It's called sportsmemo.com. 
And uh, sportsmemo.com basically is a bunch of handicap writers doing uh, doing writings and things like that. Of course, there's the usual advertisements for, you know, subscribe to our service and everything like that. But they have some great information, and it costs you nothing. And uh, one of the most interesting things that I read in the last couple of days is about the success of teams with a better strength of schedule once you come to the playoff. And uh, let me get to it right here, and I will uh, – I will uh, get that for you. Hang on just a second. I'm trying to click back to where I was. Um, Here it is. Using strength of schedule to handicap the wild card round of the NFL playoffs. This is for the wild card round. Uh, Teams with a higher strength of schedule, in other words, teams that have played tougher teams during the year, are 40-15-1 against the spread. Uh, and 40 and 16 straight up. So 40, 15, and 1 against the spread in wild card playoff games. So generally they're saying the team that has faced a tougher opponent uh, will, uh, will be successful against the spread. And then it kind of goes on to say that teams with a strength of schedule difference, differential of 10 or more, in other words, as far as the rankings go, uh, if you are 10 or more points above the other team, you're 20 two, four, and one against the spread. So it's a pretty strong thing to think about it and something that can't be ignored when you do your handicapping for uh, for the playoffs, especially the wild card round. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. I mean, teams that have been tested respond respond well to, uh, to bigger moments and certainly adversity. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and there's a couple of anomalies coming up in this weekend's games, which uh, we'll talk about. Are you ready to to dive into it, Josh? Oh, you're talking about Connor Cook and Brock Osweiler? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the first game. First game is uh, the Oakland Raiders at Houston. The uh, Houston Texans are favored by three and a half points. But let me give you their strength of schedule. In strength of schedule, uh, Oakland is number four in the league in strength of schedule, and Houston is number 18. So that's there's that 10-spot differential in strength of schedule, but mm-hmm. you have to look at uh, there's there's some other things we have to consider. So, uh, Josh, it's your Oakland Raiders. Go ahead. Uh, wow, I just saw a headline that Bill Belichick offered Kelly a job after the Philadelphia Eagles, Eagles let him go, so maybe that's something brewing there. But anyway... Um, you got three and a half? Three and a half at the, at the south point here. Okay. Uh-huh. Well, and we do have the luxury of that, that these two teams matched up against each other. It was kind of a neutral site in Mexico uh, City, and that was with Derek Carr, and Oakland didn't blow them out of the water. So I feel like that that line makes – I spent a lot of the time, maybe just because Nick hates him so much, a lot of my time on this podcast defending Brock Osweiler, but – uh, and I know he's playing my boy, so I'm not trying to get too personal. But it's Brock Osweiler, people. He's gonna he's gonna give up a big pick six, or he's gonna give give him a short field here and there. So I feel like Oakland. I think Oakland can win this game. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna take them, even though they're playing the uh, the rookie quarterback. I said to Nick, I don't even need to look to know that Connor Cook probably has more college starts than Brock Osweiler has NFL starts, or maybe Brock Osweiler has college and NFL starts. I know Cooks probably has a lot more than that. So I can I can check on that before I just start blowing my mouth. But I I feel like uh Cook showed something to me versus 
a very solid Denver defense and not and going into not a very good situation. So I, I, I believe they can pull out at least this week. Nick, what do you think? Well, first off, I don't hate Brock Osweiler. I just don't think he's a very good NFL quarterback. <laughs> I don't think he's worth $72 million, but it's not my $72 million, so I have nothing against him. I just don't think he's very good. I definitely don't think he's uh, good enough to win a playoff game, even against a Raiders team that's down to the third-string quarterback. But like you said, Cook looked pretty good last week. And, and, you know, really I think this is a field goal type of game. So the fact that it's a three-and-a-half-point spread, I have to go with Oakland to at least cover the spread, if not win an outright. Well, Oakland would be the would be the logical one to take here uh, as far as the strength of schedule goes. But you know, the strength of schedule doesn't take into consideration that uh, the Raiders are starting a. Uh, I, I wanted to pick the Raiders. I started out here trying to find reasons to take the Raiders, but um, I don't think their their defense has improved that much, and that's how they're going to have to win this game is on defense. Um, the one thing Osweiler does, he keeps throwing short passes. Um, Oakland will probably be able to cheat up. I don't know if you guys remember when Indianapolis went into Denver and beat Peyton Manning in the playoffs. They uh, discovered that Manning wouldn't or couldn't throw long, so they just cheated up. And every short pass that Manning completed, they were right there to make the tackle, if not break up the pass. They they just weren't weren't at all uh, intimidated by the threat of going long. So that's some, that's one thing that that uh, the Raiders will have in their favor. The the, the one thing. That's going to make me pick Houston on this is the fact that I don't. The Raiders didn't seem to care very much uh, after David Carr went down. Uh, they just kind of lost their their team feeling. Now, uh, Jack uh, the Del Rio is the kind of guy that can that can uh, that can motivate a team, but I just don't see Oakland motivated enough. And you know, the only thing, the only hesitation I have here is Houston is minus three and a half. Uh, and so, you know, that hook may get me at the end of the game, but I'm going to go ahead and take the Texans here and go against the strength of schedule and uh, just take the home team. Neither team looks like they're going to advance, and I know everybody's been saying this on radio, but I, I feel it too. Oakland or Houston, neither of them is going to have much of a chance uh, in New England. So this is I'm surprised you didn't play We Don't Care on this, Josh. Um, I'm going to take the uh, – <laughs> I'm going to take the Texans. Yeah, you. If it weren't the Raiders, right, you wouldn't care. I suppose that's a fair point. But it's my team. What am I going to do? Yeah, I know. And I'm going to I'm going to take Houston and go against your team, even though I'm kind of going to be rooting for him. And I kind of agree with uh, with Nick on Brock Osweiler. You know, teams. It's been a lot of teams go to the poor farm, trying to pick up second string quarterbacks who had flashes of looking good. <laughs> off other teams. So um, I think Houston made a mistake Mm -hmm. here again. All right. The Detroit Lions are in Seattle uh, to play, you know, against 12 guys. What's that? Oh, I'm sorry. I just wanted to point out uh, Brock Osweiler, 34 career starts between college and the pros. Connor Cook, 40 starts in college. Yeah, I know wow. he hasn't started a game in the NFL, but uh, <laughs> certainly, uh, certainly experienced there. Uh, from from, well, from I, I, was, and it was from only, Michigan. He, and it he's was from Michigan State, State, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. Yeah, I was impressed with him in college, and I think he's a he's a cool customer. But I 
I think Houston got a little bit of a look at his tendencies in his game against the Broncos, and they'll be ready for him this week also. So uh, I'm just scared of the Houston defense. And probably, you know, everybody thinks it'll be a low-scoring game. I think the over-unders are like 36. Um, so it's probably not going to be an exciting game to watch. I'm not looking forward to. I'm looking forward to watching, but not expecting a really, really offensive showdown. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. All right. All right. You ready to move on? That's right. The Lions in Seattle to to play a game of 12 on 11 against the Seahawks. Uh, Seahawks favored by eight and a half points. Wow. Eight and a half points. Ugh. You know... Was that one extra point? I feel like this should have been a touchdown. Maybe that one extra point is because of uh, Matthew Stafford's middle finger. But uh, um, talk about a kick in the shorts. You know, they they lose Sunday night, and like, oh, so you lost. You didn't win your division, and now you get to go to Seattle to start the playoffs. (laughs) Um, Wow. It seems like too many points, but I I have trouble, trouble picking Seattle and they're the team with experience, and like Chuck said, they have that 12th man. I, I'll go with Seattle. I don't love it, but I'll go with I'll go with Seattle and lay those eight points. Is it eight or eight and a half? Eight and a half. Woo! I'm still on. Let's go. Lay the eight and a half, Nick. What do you think? Yeah, I'm right there with you. I I just can't pick against Seattle playing at home this type of this time of year. Uh, you know, even with the eight and a half points, I don't like it. You know, if I was in Vegas, I probably wouldn't be betting on this one. But I, I have to go with the Seahawks. They're just too playoff experienced. And Detroit, you know, they're it's been how many years since the Lions made the playoffs or even had a winning record? So yeah, I just can't I can't find a reason to go with Detroit. Maybe if Matt Stafford was healthy, like Josh alluded to, his middle finger is injured, but. Uh, yeah, got to go with the Seahawks. Jeez, you guys just won't agree with me here, will you? Um, I'm Seattle, <laughs> strength of schedule, Seattle was 30th out of 32 teams in the NFL. Uh, their offense, or excuse me, their defense has not looked good the last two weeks. Um, they they haven't looked like the same team since their uh, since their safety went down. Refresh my memory on his name. <laughs> Earl Thomas. Earl Thank Thomas. you very much. Man, that thing left me a second. Uh, yeah, since Earl Thomas went down, I think the Lions can score on them, and I don't think that uh, if Seattle wins the game, I don't think they have enough firepower to beat them by eight and a half points. I think uh, I think Matthew Stafford can put up enough points to be uh, to be competitive in this game. So I'm going to go ahead and take the uh, – the uh, Detroit Lions plus the eight and a half when you're getting more than a touchdown here. The Lions, uh, if you're wondering about the Lions' strength of schedule, they're only 25th, so it's not that much of a not that much of an imbalance in strength of schedules. I just think Seattle is uh, is uh, not in form right now, and I like the fact that you know even if Detroit's down by 14 or 21 going in the last quarter they have that uh, that comeback ability to maybe get a backdoor cover on this one so i'm going to take the lions okay and how much how much does playing the bears twice impact that strength of schedule <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, you just had to bring that up, didn't you? Um, <laughs> um, so, sorry to pull salt on the wound, but didn't you say they've never finished worse than three and, or four and twelve? Geez, I can't remember. They they did this year, didn't they? Yeah, three and thirteen. Anyway, yeah. All, well, now everybody's going to be everybody's. Well, yeah. Here's the good thing: Matt Barkley didn't look good in the last game, so uh, at least they won't go into the off season thinking they have a quarterback. Maybe they'll address that in the off season somehow. Oh, another thing I wanted to tell you about: um, last week I had the I had a, a teaser, and my last game was the Lions plus ten points. And so I went on the other side of it, and I did a did a straight up bet on the Vikings or excuse me, on the Packers. And so I needed to hit, uh, in order to win both my bets, I needed to, to hit between between three and a half and ten. <laughs> and when Stafford hit that Hail Mary pass, it took it down to, I believe, seven points. So, <laughs> uh, you know, you talk about bad we- bad beats, that was a good win for me. I won both bets there. So yeah, little betting story for you there. Nice. Let's move on to Sunday's games. The Miami Dolphins are in Pittsburgh, and the Steelers are favored by 10 points. All right. Well, I'm, I'm picking another underdog here. That, that is way too many points. I know it's Miami in the cold, blustery, Blitzburg defense, whatever. Pittsburgh's defense is not, not good enough to be double-digit favorites. I know this offense can open things up and really kill you if it's a shootout. But even if it's a shootout, I feel like I feel like Miami can sneak in and not not lose by 10 points. So I'm going to I'm going to take the Dolphins and I if I'm going to if I if I truly believe in one upset this weekend, I think it's going to be this one. I think I think the Dolphins I will not be surprised if the Dolphins go in there and win. And that's just that's just way too many points. Right of the weekend, I, I got to go with Dolphins. Nick, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. It is a lot of points, ten points in a playoff game. But I just I'm still scratching my head trying to figure out how Miami is a playoff team this year. Uh, I know JHI's had some really big games, and but you know Ryan Tannehill and Matt Moore. That combination looks like Matt Moore is most likely going to be the starter in this game. Uh, I I just can't find any reasons to pick Miami really I know they they do have some offensive weapons you know good receiving core like you said Pittsburgh's defense isn't the strongest but I just think that at home the Steelers should run away with this one Uh, overall they're just more talented of a team across the board well in strength of schedule you guys the uh, Dolphins are 27th and the Pittsburgh Steelers are 11th but I still cannot give up 10 points uh, especially after Miami already beat Pittsburgh. Uh, granted, that was in Miami, and Pittsburgh's bad on the road. I don't see that much of a discrepancy. I, I think Pittsburgh will find a way to win it. But uh, I, the Dolphins are a gritty bunch. I'm, I think they'll keep it close here. And the strange thing is that that 10-point spread probably won't be the biggest spread of the playoffs. It'll be New England against whoever they play next week. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, 13 to 14 points. In that uh, in that game in New England next week, but uh, um, getting back to this week, I'm going to go ahead and uh, I'm going to take the Dolphins plus the points. I just uh, I can't resist that. I know I'm going against the strength of schedule thing, but strength of schedule. I don't know how many ten point 
underdogs that they had on that strength of schedule thing. So uh, let's go ahead and take Miami, and uh, we'll move along to the uh, the final game of the playoffs. The New York Giants are at Green Bay, and the Packers, it was five and a half this morning. I just noticed that the line went down to five. So we've got a, a lot of New York Giant betters in here. So uh, Green Bay, five points at home against the Giants. Yeah, you know, I know the Giants have obviously Odell Beckham, and that's that's their big strength. But uh, I, I feel like Green Bay will be able to shut just him down if they need to. Not shut him down completely, but at least control him, limit his uh, production. And I, I just can't bet against Aaron Rodgers right now, especially with the history the Giants have going into Green Bay and winning in the playoffs over the last five or six years, you got to think Aaron Rodgers just going to have his team so motivated to uh, to do something. I heard uh, Bucky Brooks say an interesting stat this morning. I think in the first seven games, Rodgers had 10 touchdown passes. In the last nine, he had 30. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's peaking at the right time. And the Giants are a vulnerable defense, especially on the edges, and I, I think Rodgers and their speedy wide receiving court will, will take advantage of that. Uh, I I just feel like you saw what the Packers did on Sunday night against the Lions. You know, the Lions were all probably keyed in and stopping Cheryl, or excuse me, Ty Montgomery at running back. He barely even played, and they used the rookie fullback Ripkowski. It's like they can adapt their play to whatever they want to do, and they're, well, they'll they'll do it because they know how to beat the opposing defense. So, long story short, I think I think I'll, I'll take Green uh, Green Bay in this game and lay the five points. I feel feel pretty good about it too. There, Nick, what do you think? Yeah, it's funny looking back to to September and everybody was talking, oh, what's wrong with Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers? They're a shell of them former selves, and you know now now they're probably the hottest team going into the playoffs. So yeah, playing at home, I definitely have to take the Packers. Uh, also, looks like uh, Randall Cobb practiced today, so they could be getting him back after he missed the last two games. Makes that offense even more dangerous. Yeah, definitely got to go with the Packers. Uh, okay. We have no clean sweeps this week. I'm going to go ahead and, and take Aww. the Giants. I just uh, I, I hearken back to the uh, a couple of years ago the Giants came into Green Bay and beat the Packers when nobody expected them to. Um, I think they can do it. Uh, I, I think they'll play them a close game. The uh, Giants' defense is playing as well as anybody lately, and uh, even though they and, and and the Packers' defense is 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 not that great, I think. I think it's going to be like a 21 to 20 game somewhere around there. It's just going to be, you know, uh the uh the Giants have enough to to hold Green Bay from scoring the big numbers and they have enough on offense to uh, to kind of keep pace with the Packers whatever their defense gives them. So, um plus the strength of schedule is in the Giants favor here. The Giants um <clears throat> are uh, 13th, I believe the Packers are 19th. Hang on, I'm going to check that. Real quick here, uh, Giants are 13th. Yeah, the Packers are 19th. So the Giants have a little bit of uh, a little bit of advantage in strength of schedule. That probably comes with them playing in the NFC in the NFC East and the and the Packers playing teams like the Bears and the 
and the Vikings. Um, but nonetheless, I'm going to go ahead and take the Giants to stay within that. This was an interesting line. It started out as uh, Green Bay minus four, went up to four and a half, back to four, up to five and a half, and now it's back to five. So um, <clears throat> we're got, betters are going both ways on this game. So uh, no, no real advantage to be gleaned from that. New York Giants, I think, will uh, maybe the Packers win it on a field goal at the end of the game. So there we go. So to recap, Chuck, you're taking three underdogs and Brock Osweiler? (laughs) (laughs) And that's why he's our Vegas expert. Three strong underdogs. We'll find out when we get the results for this weekend. What about Clemson and Alabama? Yeah, Alabama's favored by six and a half. Real ooh, it's quick. It's gone down, huh? Um, you, you know, you want to believe, after, you know, after this being the same game last year, that uh, Clemson can turn the corner, but Alabama is just a flipping juggernaut. I don't know. I can't. I just can't bet I can't bet against them right now. Um, the weird thing going into this, and I wonder if that's because of the line changes, Lane Kiffin's up to his old, old antics again and not uh, not uh, going to be coaching this game. Now they have another guy, Steve Sarkeesian, that's been around the team that's going to take over the, the OC duties, but uh, Kiffin is not even going to be in the state, apparently, according to Nick Saban. So that, that could be interesting, but that I don't think it's going to matter because that Bama defense is just – they're just as solid as they come. Uh, just, yeah, rock solid. So, Nick, any thoughts there? Uh, I'll be rooting like heck for Clemson uh, just because I'd be rooting for anybody to knock off Alabama, the the giant of among uh, teams in college football right now. But, yeah, I'm surprised this isn't more like a double-digit spread. I think Alabama's probably going to run away with this one. Okay, I'll take Clemson. <laughs> no, Nick, like you, uh-huh. I'm uh, I'm ro- I'm rooting for Clemson because uh, I just I, I hate to see a team dominate like that. And uh, Alabama needs to be knocked off their perch a little bit. And they played last year. Clemson knows they uh, Clemson isn't intimidated by Alabama. I think it'll be a close game. Um, I think it'll be a really really fine game, and I'm looking for it to be somewhere. You know, field goal either way. So um, I, I I like Clemson. I'll take the six and a half. Okay. Um, I feel like I would have given Clemson a little more love if they would have had that traditional like month to get ready for this pool, but it's a pretty quick turnaround. And I think that Alabama defense is better now than they were last year. So that's. Ugh, not, not good. News. They're really anyway, good. I can't we'll see, argue with you we'll on that who, point. Yeah, they'll they'll score a touchdown, and that'll that'll be your six and a half. That'll raise that six and a half deficit. I think. So. <laughs> anyway, that is all we have for you today. Chuck, as always, thank you so much for being our our man out there in uh in Vegas. Thanks so much, guys. I'll uh, see you next week. All right. Yep. Talk to you next week. Thanks. All we had for you today, uh, Nick. Any uh, any closing thoughts there? 
Well, you know, a lot of times when head coaches get fired, uh, there's a lot of he said, he said amongst the, the former staff there, and it seems to be the case with San Francisco, whereas it turns out uh, supposedly Chip Kelly wanted to draft uh, Dak Prescott and the GM vetoed that pick. So do you think uh, Dak Prescott should maybe send sort of some sort of nice gift over to the former GM there for allowing him to go to Dallas instead of being stuck, stuck in San Fran? <laughs> I did hear that, too, and – what I would say to that is Dak Prescott would not go to San Francisco and be the same player he was for Dallas this year. He has a phenomenal offensive line, uh, a stud running back. I mean, he's not going to go to San Francisco with that offensive line, Shane Droll and Mike Davis, because Carlos Hyde can't walk down a flight of stairs and not end up on the IR. So, yeah, that's I mean, nobody nobody could have saved San Francisco this year, and obviously Chip Kelly was not to, not the answer there either. So yeah, I yeah, sorry Chip, but uh, maybe he's maybe he's an OC next year. Maybe that Josh McDaniels is from New England. <laughs> Let's see Tom Brady run the uh, run the Chip Kelly scheme. That <laughs> that could be kind of fun, but. Uh, uh, interesting dynamic, I should say. Uh, I, I do want to bring up uh, Alan Sadley dropped a great article on Monday about if you're playing in any type of a fantasy playoff format and the, the players to draft. I think his format that he plays, you know, you all draft like 18, eight player, or 18 league, you all draft players based, and then that's your team for the rest of the playoffs. Uh, just, just really solid, intensive work by Alan who is some type of numbers analyst in, in his uh, his life off of the site. So make sure you check that out. Uh, he starts the article with a brilliant write-up about when uh, one of the first years he started doing this type of contest and uh, going into the uh, the uh, Raiders-Buccaneers Super Bowl, Allen would have won the playoff contest. The only, reason, the only thing he needed not to happen was for Tampa Bay to score three defensive touchdowns. <laughs> and ultimately they scored one at the end of the third quarter and two more in the fourth. So talk about a bad beat. But, uh, wow. But, uh, yeah, great article by Alan. So make sure you check that out. Um, and uh, we, we'll have the Q&A coming up this week. We're going to start with some stock reports position by position to get uh, to get you cozy for the off season. Then we'll be hitting those rookies pretty hard. So make sure you check back the site of that and uh, enjoy some uh, NFL playoff action. Nick, as always, thank you for being my co-host, and we will talk to you next week. All right. Sounds good. Happy New Year, everybody. Yes, Happy New Year, and we will talk to you next week. And I don't have a dilemma planned, but I'm sure we will have a good one for you. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.